Father, for doing a great work in us as your people and as your children. We thank you, Father, for supernatural strength, that you open the eyes of our understanding, that we may know the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as children of God, and that we might know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Thank you, Father, for opening our eyes to the truth. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to three openings this morning. James chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 5, and Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk to you this morning on dealing with adversity. Dealing with adversity. The Bible tells us, and uh, Paul wrote to Timothy just shortly before he was put to death, and he talked about the last days. He said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, that word perilous means difficult or dangerous, but it also has uh, additional meaning. One meaning of the word perilous is strength-reducing. So he said, in the last days, there would be strength-reducing times. And then he went forward and, and told us a lot of the activities and the, the manner in which people will live their lives in, the, in these last days. And if you summarize it, it's, it's basically talking about dishonesty and lawlessness. Well, these last days are perilous. And they seem to be getting more and more perilous as we go. Strength reducing measures taken by the enemy to try to discourage us and pull us away from what we know is true and living the fullness of the blessed life that Jesus has provided for us so in James chapter 1 James writing to the church giving them instructions in times of trouble we know that first century uh, of the church the first generation of the church experienced great persecution and it was such that it overshadowed most of everything if not everything in their lives so James writes to the church, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into, into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing, in other words. James tells the church to count it all joy when you fall into to diverse temptations. That word temptation means adversity, test, trials, and affliction. So he says the important thing about dealing with adversity or the important way to live while we find ourselves in the middle of difficulty or adversity is to count it all joy. Now, folks, the things that are joyful, you don't have to count as joy. He didn't say that it would be joy. He said count it as joy. In other words, recognize that there's more going on than just what you can see. We should be a, believer, a, a group of believers, a family of people that knows that God is working behind the scenes no matter what things look like. And no matter what things appear to be or who says what, the Bible is very clear that God wants us to live even as if everything is right even as if it would be a joyful life or a joyful experience. He said, count it all joy. Now, folks, to count something joy, you have to do it by, uh, by decision. 
you have to exercise your will in that regard. If not, then you're just going to react to everything based on how you feel. If the stock market's up and you're making a lot of money, then it's, you, you have reason to be happy. But God doesn't want us to base our happiness or base our joy on just what we can see in the, the situation that we find ourselves in. He never leaves us. He never will forsake us. Well, if God's with us and his word is true, there's no reason not to be joyful. No matter what's taking place around us. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church from prison. So you can imagine his circumstances are not the most profitable or the, the, not the way that he would want them to, to be. Now, this wasn't the last imprisonment, but it was the first imprisonment. And he wrote to the, the, the Ephesians and the Colossian churches. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The only way you can do that, folks, is to walk according to the word. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So what he's telling us is even though the days are difficult, even though the devil is at work, pulling strings and influencing people in every way that he can against the people of God and against the church. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Here's the will of God that he's about to reveal to you. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This phrase, be filled with the Spirit, literally would be translated in the, or should be translated in the English. Be being filled. It's a play on words. So he's saying not just stay full or not just be full of the Spirit, but stay full of the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves therefore uh, one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now compare that with what he wrote to the, Col to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Same imprisonment, same point in time that he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He wrote these two together. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, folks, the Bible tells us, gives us very specific instructions that we should live a joy-filled life. We should be, live a life, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's threatened to come, we should live a life where we are speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, the word of God is so deeply rooted in our hearts that no matter what the circumstances are in, around us, no matter what the threats are that come, that we can trust God to bring his word to pass, to take care of us, to be with us, to strengthen us, to help us, to uphold us with the right hand of his righteousness, no matter what's going on. That's the way God wants us to live. The Bible tells us the story of Joseph. It's a magnificent story. It's almost too uh, great to be 
accepted or believed. But the Bible tells us about when Joseph was 17 years old, his father saw something in him that was unusual. And as a result, that excellent spirit of, about Joseph was such that his father made him a very expensive garment, a coat of many colors, the Bible says, to identify and to separate Joseph because of the excellence of spirit that he had. Well, then Joseph dreams uh, a couple of dreams. And in one of those dreams, the first dream, he dreamed that they were in the field. He was with his 12 brothers in the field, or 11 brothers, I'm sorry. He's the 12th. But they were in the field, and they were gathering grain. And the stalks of grain they would put in bunches. And he saw that his brother's uh, stalks of uh, bunches of grain bowed down before his. Well, he told that to his brothers, and it wasn't really a blessing to them. I don't know what he thought the reaction was going to be, but it didn't seem to work out the way that he suspected. And then he dreamed another dream shortly thereafter. And the sun and the moon and the stars, which represented his parents and his brothers, they bowed down before his star. Well, he shared that with them too, and they weren't, weren't any more blessed by that than they were the first one. They took offense because here he is, the younger brother. He was the 11th of the 12 to be born to his father. And he's telling them the dreams indicate that they would be bowing down to worship him. Now, I've heard the book of Joseph, or the story of Joseph taught many times in many different places. And in most cases, the story of Joseph is used to encourage people to dream big. God's in big dreams, some would say. But folks, Joseph didn't dream these dreams of his own. These dreams were given him of God. The story of Joseph is about Joseph living up to what God's plan for his life was. Not the bigness or the, the, uh, how big his dreams were or how big he could dream. So the Bible tells us that his brothers, because they weren't real very blessed by his dreams, sold him into slavery. And he winds up being in Egypt, a slave to a man named Potiphar, a, a military officer named Potiphar. And Joseph's excellence of spirit continued on when he was in slavery. He became the ruler of Potiphar's house. He was entrusted with such a position and such authority in Potiphar's house so that Potiphar really didn't even know what he wound up having. Joseph was in charge of all of it. But then you may remember the story of when Potiphar's wife saw something special about him too. And she went about trying to seduce him to get him to sleep with her or have sex with her. And he refused to do it. She, beat the, she came to him day after day after day, and every time he would refuse. He said, how can I sin against my Lord Potiphar, and how can I sin against God in this manner? His excellent spirit stayed on after he went into slavery. Well, Potiphar, hearing his wife tell the story when uh, Joseph refused her, for the last time, as far as she was concerned, 
Then she claimed that he tried to rape her. And so Potiphar took him and threw him into the prison. But Joseph's excellence of spirit remained there too. He wound up being the top person in authority outside of the jailer. And again, he was entrusted with such authority that the jailer didn't really pay attention to the day-to-day operation. He left that up to Joseph. Well, after a period of time, after several years, Joseph in prison meets, comes in contact with two people that used to be part of Pharaoh's house. One was the baker and the other was the cupbearer, the wine steward. And they dreamed a dream. Both dreamed a dream on the same night. And the cupbearer, the wine steward, came to Joseph, told him about the dream, and Joseph interpreted it for him. He said, in three days, you'll be restored to Potiphar's house, or to Pharaoh's house. Well, the baker, hearing the good news about what the, uh, of what the meaning of the wine steward's dream, he told his dream as well. And Joseph said, he interpreted his dream as well, and he said, this means in three days, Pharaoh's going to cut your head off. Well, it worked just exactly the way that he said for both individuals. Joseph had asked the wine steward that when you get back in Pharaoh's house, don't forget me, because I'm here because of an injustice. Now, that injustice would have been plenty of reason for him to change who he was, Or change the way that he operated. But even after two years of being forgotten. By the wine steward. Joseph's excellence of spirit remained. Well fast forward to when Pharaoh has a couple of dreams himself. He can't get any of his magicians. Or spiritual advisors to interpret the dream. And then the wine steward remembers Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh about the fact that two years prior, he and the baker had a dream. Joseph interpreted their dreams, and it came to pass just the way that he said. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. The dreams that he dreamed, he dreamed the same dream twice, apparently. And the interpretation was that there's going to be seven years of plenty like Egypt's never seen before. But then after that, there'll be seven years of famine. That'll be the worst famine that anybody's ever experienced. Then he instructs or advises Pharaoh, find somebody to set over the the affairs of the nation during the seven years of plenty and set aside 20% of all the grain and store that up in preparation for the famine. Well, Pharaoh sees this excellence of spirit in Joseph, and he puts him in charge. So overnight, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and operates in such a way that nobody in the kingdom outside of Pharaoh himself has more power and authority than he did. Folks, the story of Joseph is that he didn't let the adversity that he found himself in change who he was. He remained the same as he did when he was in his father's house all the way through being a slave in Egypt 
being a prisoner in Egypt and then being a prime minister of Egypt. The key to dealing with adversity is don't let the circumstances change you. The key to dealing with adversity is to recognize God hadn't changed just because difficult circumstances arise. God's word doesn't change because of the difficulty of the circumstance. So why should you and I change? Now turn with me, with me to Psalm 137. Psalm 137, verse 1. Israel is being taken captive by the Babylonians. Verse 1, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us, re wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Folks, you may not be aware of this, but Israel was renowned and famous for their, their songs, the songs that the Lord would give them, the truth of his word that they would set to music. The, Israel, the enemies of Israel were well aware of their beautiful songs and, and the place that it held in their culture. But here's what Israel replied in verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a strange land? Folks, there are scriptures that indicate to us quite clearly and over and over and over again how that God deals with us according to what he hears from our lips. That great story in Deuteronomy chapter 13 of where Israel comes to the promised land after they've been delivered from the bondage of Egypt miraculously. How they've seen the power of God in the, the, the plagues of Egypt. How they saw God destroy Pharaoh's army when he chased into the Red Sea after them. They went over on dry ground. But when Pharaoh's armies got into the midst of the Red Sea, then the waters collapsed on them and they were destroyed without Israel even having to throw a rock. So Israel comes to the edge of the promised land, the land that God intended for them to have, the land that God willed for them to have, and then he gave them a choice. And their choice is the same choice that all of us have, the same choice that we all have opportunity to make every day of our lives. And that is, are we going to obey and do what the Bible says? Or are we going to let the circumstances dictate to us what we do? Well, Israel heard the report of the ten spies that went into the land. And they chose to follow what they saw. They said the people that were in the land were too great for them to defeat militarily. Now, folks, why in the world are they worried about military operations? They didn't conduct any military operations in Pharaoh's army, which was the superpower of the world at that time. 
Pharaoh's armies were destroyed, as I said, without Israel even having to throw a rock. But because they didn't set their eyes on the promise of God, they were denied access to the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 14, I think it's verse 28. After Israel has made their choice not to go into the promised land, after they've made their choice to believe that they are unable to take the promised land even though God's on their side, God says something very instructive. He says to Moses to tell the people, as truly as I live, I will deal with them as I have heard them speak into my ears. And that phrase, as truly as I live, is talking about certain characteristics of God. It's a never-ending principle. It's an enduring principle. When God says, as truly as I live, we need to recognize that there are two characteristics of God that he's trying to communicate to the people. One is, God is eternal. So what he's telling them is an eternal law. But then the other characteristic is that God never changes. God is eternal and he never changes. So the principle that he gives to them is an eternal and unchanging law. One translation says it's the oracle of God. Well, what is this eternal and unchanging law of God? God deals with us as we speak in his ears. Now, there's one other time and only one other time that God uses that same phrase, as truly as I live. It's in the same chapter. And so the eternal and unchanging law that God, the second eternal and unchanging law that God dictates to man is that he says the whole earth will be covered with his glory. The earth will be filled with his glory. That's an unchanging and eternal law of God. So there's two things that we recognize are eternal and unchanging as far as God is concerned. One is that his glory shall fill the earth, and the other is that God will deal with man as man speaks back unto him. So when Israel is held captive or taken captive into Babylon, they hang their harps on the willows. What does this do? It ensures their captivity. It enforces their captivity. Because everything about the kingdom of God comes down to what you say. You can't get saved without believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior. It's your confession that rules your eternity. Just like the unchanging and eternal law of God said. How can we sing a song in a strange land? Folks, you better learn to sing the songs of God in strange lands. Because if you don't, that strange land becomes your home. That bondage of the enemy becomes your home. You can't allow adversity or difficulties, test trials or tribulations, you can't allow them to change who you are. You can't allow those things to change who the Bible says you are. 
and you can't allow those things to change what the Bible says is yours. How can we sing a song of the Lord in a strange land? There's only one way you can do that, and that is by counting it all joy. Counting it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, test trials, or adversities, difficulties. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But when patience is allowed to come to its fruition, do its full work, then we are left perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. The Bible says God withholds no, withholds no good thing to those that trust him. There's nothing that he'll hold back. There's nothing that's impossible where his deliverance is concerned. God deals with us according to the words that we speak. Folks, I received another letter this week. I've gotten to where I enjoy them too. <laughs> and it was more of the same, maybe coming from a little different angle, but the complaint was that I'm speaking politics instead of speaking the word. It occurred to me that with all these letters that I've received, that there's one thing in common or there's one fix for all of them. And that is, if I just shut up. <laughs> that's all anybody that's complained is, is asked for. They just want me to shut up. Now, they don't want me to shut up about everything. Just the part of things that they don't want to hear. Which in this case happens to be politics. Isn't that the spirit of the world that we're living in right now? Yes. Just shut up and wear your mask. <laughs> Just shut up about voter fraud and accept that 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. Just shut up and lock down. Isolate yourself. But for goodness sake, shut up. How can people not see that that's the spirit of the world that we're living in? Now, folks, I think you know me well enough to know that one thing that I'm not going to do is shut up. I know a little bit about the devil trying to shut somebody up. For the last 10 years, I've been dealing with the devil trying to shut me up through sickness and disease. But folks, I've been preaching healing and healing through faith in God's word when I barely had the strength to stand. For goodness sakes, I preached through what the doctor says the MRI identified as a stroke while I was on the platform during a service. 
If I didn't let those things shut me up, the idea that I would shut up to avoid the criticism of a few folks that don't have the wisdom to see what the devil is doing in front of their face is absolutely absurd. Now, my healing hasn't come about the way that I wanted it to. If you look in the, the ministry of Jesus, you'll find that people were healed in different ways. But basically, it comes down to either, people were either healed um, instantly or they were healed progressively. They amended as they went. And so my lot in the devil's temptation in the area of physical sickness and disease has turned out to be not the way that I wanted it to be, but one of the most honorable situations and circumstances of my life. I've seen symptoms be overcome by God's word, one after the another. And I'm at the point where there are only two symptoms left. One you can see and one you can't see. But I can say without hesitation that the prayer of faith has healed me. And the Lord is raising me up. Which is exactly what the Bible said would happen. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. It's been the greatest honor of my life to fight through this thing. It hasn't been fun. There's not been one day of fun of it. And so I've had to count it joy. It hasn't been joy. So I've had to decide and determine to count it joy. And in that I found God's faithfulness to be greater than anything I've ever known or experienced. Now, folks, turn with me to Isaiah 55. I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Notice what the Bible is saying. The Bible is talking to people that have turned away from the Lord. It's talking to Israel at a time where they were in disobedience. And Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, says that the key to returning to the Lord, the means of returning to the Lord, come down to two things, thoughts and ways, or thoughts and actions. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, you can tell, a truth, uh, tell what a tree is, by judging the fruit that's on a tree. He didn't say you could tell a tree, tell what a tree was by the, th the claims that the tree makes. He said you can identify a tree by the fruit that it produces. So no matter what that tree claims to be, or no matter what people may claim to be, what they are, truly what they are, is, can be identified by the fruit that it produces. 
Now, throughout the, the ministry that God has given us here in this place, which just a month from today will be, um, what is it, 36 years, 35 years? During those 35 years, and, and folks, you do anything for 35 years, you learn a little. <laughs> but throughout those 35 years, and even, to be honest with you, a couple of years before that, when we were ministering in a different way, before the church started, I've had occasion over those years to have people come and tell me about things that God told them to do. And many of those things that they claim God told them to do, I know with a certainty, without a shadow of doubt, that God didn't tell them to do it. And, and it's not because I'm some prophet or I have some special revelation. But the things that God's word is against means God's against. So when somebody comes and tells me they're going to do something, they've been instructed by God to do something contrary to the word, I know that's not right. How could God ever tell somebody to steal? How could God ever tell somebody to murder? How could God ever tell somebody to commit adultery? I'm reminded of a story that Brother Hagin told about a church that he was holding a meeting in. And the meeting was just getting started. He'd never been there before. The meeting was just getting started. They had a couple of days worth of services. And Brother Hagin noticed that there was a lady that sat in a certain place up toward the front, always in the same place. And she spent most of the service rocking back and forth in her chair. Well, he didn't know what that was, but he didn't know maybe it was a medical condition that she was coming to hear the word to receive her healing and so forth. But after a couple of days, the pastor of the church came to Brother Hagen or said to him in their conversation, you may have noticed Sister So-and-So sitting in a certain place in the church and that she's rocking like that during most of the service. And Brother Hagen said, yeah, I did notice that. He said, I didn't think to ask you about it, but... I did think that was kind of strange. And the pastor said, well, he said, the Lord uses her in a, in a very different and unusual way. He said, as long as she's rocking, you're in the spirit. <laughs> as long as she's rocking, then the words you're preaching, the sermon you're preaching is in line with the spirit of God. But if she stops rocking, then you just lost the spirit. Now, the sad part of that story is the pastor has been kowtowed by a woman claiming to know the Spirit of God more than him. It's such a sad thing that that pastor allowed himself to be used in that ungodly and obvious way. Now, folks, the Bible says in, uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, it says, contention only comes by, by pride. See, the things that I say about politics, I don't intend them to be contentious. I just see what the Bible says. I judge the fruit of it. And I say what's true. So people that have a hard time with something that they may not agree with, 
but choose to enter into contention about it, that's caused by pride. That's spiritual pride. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. <laughs> and it's a sad thing, but some of the people that are criticizing us for speaking on politics are operating in spiritual pride. Back to Isaiah 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Again, notice ways and thoughts. Thoughts and actions, in other words. Now, the Bible tells us about Moses. He said, Israel knew his acts, but, God, but Moses knew his ways. In other words, Israel could see the things that God did, the powerful displays or the displays of power by God. They saw the miracles. But Moses had understanding of the miracle worker. Moses knew the heart of God to understand why his acts were what his acts are. So he says to return to the Lord, and the way to return is to change your thoughts and your ways, to line up with God's thoughts and God's ways. And that's exactly what God does. He shows them his thoughts and his ways. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So the ways and the thoughts of the unrighteous seem to be toward an unwillingness on God's part to forgive them. So when he says that the important thing is to change your thoughts and ways. He says, change your thoughts to understand that God will have mercy and forgive. One of the things I know has impacted me in a great, great way. I grew up in a denominational church, and we were all about rules. There were do's and don'ts, hundreds of don'ts, a couple of do's. And even though this church was filled with people that loved God with all their hearts, their main focus in their Christian walk was unrighteousness. Even though the blood of Jesus had made us righteous, that idea that they were unrighteous dominated their Christian walk. It takes some changing of your thoughts to come to the understanding of righteousness that God has made us. But I don't find that to be an area where most people focus. It would serve them well if they did. Because there is nothing that God wants you to know about him more than his love and his mercy. So he says, let the unrighteous man change his thoughts, let the wicked forsake his way, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So isn't he saying that he wants, he's instructing the wicked to start thinking God's thoughts instead of his own? He's instructing the wicked to operate according to the acts and the doings of God rather than the doings of man. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now he's going to give an, uh, an example. He says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now, folks, here's the dividing line. You remember in John chapter 8, I think it starts in verse 31, it said that there were a number of the Jews that believed in him. And he said to those that believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now, folks, this indicates to us that God doesn't want just believers. He wants disciples. Now, what makes the difference between a believer and a disciple? Continuing in the word. See, the Bible says, John wrote to the church shortly before his death, after he was almost 100 years old or close, getting close to 100 years old. John wrote to the church and said, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. See, things that are based on the Word are available for every believer, every Christian to know and to experience. And I can safely say that the political positions that I've taken and have spoken about during church are based on the truth of God's Word. They're based on my knowledge of what God does and the character and the nature of who He is the character and the nature of God, meaning who he is. But not all Christians agree. Well, folks, everybody can't be right. Somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. Now, I'm perfectly willing to change in any area where somebody can show me that I'm wrong, but so far it hadn't come yet. The criticisms that I've gotten about the things that I've said about politics None of them, none of those criticisms are based on the truth. None of those criticisms are, are backed up by a proper interpretation of the word. So I can safely say that I know what's right and what's wrong based on my continuing in the word for over 45 years. Now I know everybody doesn't think the same and certainly not everybody thinks the way that I do. But the ways that I think are guided by the knowledge of the word that I have. So here's an anointing that John talks about that's available to each one of us. He's not talking about an anointing for ministry. He's talking about an anointing or an unction of the Holy Ghost or an inward witness of the Spirit of God as to what's right and wrong in every situation. 
But it takes continuing in the Word to develop that. Without that development, then it just comes down to opinions. So he said to those Jews that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's continuing in the word that brings you to the knowledge of the truth. The believers are those who have accepted Jesus as the Lord of their lives, and thank God they did. But the disciples are the ones that continued in the word to know and uncover the truth. So the dividing line between the believer and the disciple is continuing in the word. Your relationship with the word determines whether you're a believer, simply a believer, or you're a disciple. That's what Isaiah is saying by the Spirit of God here. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. See, to the believers, the Bible is just a dead book. It tells the story of Jesus, and it brought them enough faith to enter into the family of God. But beyond that, the book is dead to them. But the disciple is the one that goes on to find out that the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God to bring blessing into your life. It's the only thing that you can have faith in. Use as a foundation for your faith to receive anything and everything from God. So is the, is the Bible going to be a dead book? Or is it going to be full of life and power? That's what Isaiah is saying here by the Spirit of God. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. In other words, it works. It produces results. In other words, it's not just a dead book. It's full of life and power. Full of life and power. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now notice this phrase. It shall not return unto me void. Now, the example he gave was the water cycle. Rain falls from the sky, waters the earth, and then water vapor ascends back up into the sky. He says his word works the same way. His word comes down from the source, which is God himself. But then how does it return? How does God's word return? Remember the unchanging and eternal law of God? As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. We quote oftentimes the scripture, and the Bible says this in a couple of different places. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Well, that's talking about this too. The first witness is God speaking the word himself. The second witness is you speaking it back to him. The unchanging eternal law of God. As you've spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Now God said about when we speak the word, 
First time the word is spoken is from God himself, but then the word is established by the second voice. That's us. So when God speaks his word of promise to us, we take hold of it and establish it in our lives by speaking it back to him, by making our confession back to him. And God said of that word returning to him that it would never return void or empty of power. Our words are full of power when we speak his words. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. God gave his word to us for a reason. And that reason is one that brings him pleasure. So a word of God, a scripture of God that pertains to healing for the physical body. That word spoken, that word of healing spoken back to him carries power to heal. And that pleases God. In other words, that's the way he wants it to be. He set up this system, established these unchanging eternal laws of God because it brings him pleasure, because he wants his people to have healing. He wants his people to walk in health. Same thing's true of other scriptures, scriptures that pertain to, physical, uh, to uh, financial well-being, prosperity. When God speaks the word to us, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That shows us his desire. That shows, shows us his will. Then when we speak it back to him, thank you, Father, that you meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory. That word returns into him not void of power but full of power to affect that financial blessing in our lives because that's the way that pleases God. God is pleased. He wants us to walk in abundance. He wants our needs to be met. So the word doesn't return unto him void, but it accomplishes what he pleases. It does something. It produces fruit. Healing scriptures produce healing fruit. Prosperity uh, scriptures produce prosperity fruit. His word always accomplishes what he pleases. All he has to do is find somebody that's willing to speak his word back to him and establish that blessing in their lives. So it works the way that he wants it to work. It works according to his pleasure. And it prospers in the thing whereto he sent it. This goes back to what we just said. Different scriptures are given to produce different things. Healing scriptures are given to produce healing. Peace scriptures are uh, intended to produce peace. In other words, the word of God is a living thing, full of life and power, able to overcome the obstacles and circumstances we may find ourselves in. And it works that way because God wants it to. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Notice verse 12. Verse 12 is God showing how he wants his children to live life on this earth. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
In other words, the, word, the world will work for you, not against you. The world which God created for his children, not for the devil and his crowd, shall produce God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose for you and in your life. Most of us look at the world that we're in and think what a mess this place is. But when you start confessing the promises of God, when you start walking in the truth of God's word and exercising your authority through faith in his word, the earth returns to, to become a paradise for us. And all it takes is believing and speaking. All it takes is believing in the truth of the word and saying it back to God. The devil may want you to shut up or the devil may want you to speak according to the circumstances and the situations we see around us. But God's word says if you'll say what he says, if you'll walk in and confess, believe and say, what his word says. This earth will produce for you in an abundant manner. Your body will respond to the healing truth that the Bible declares. You can walk in fullness of joy even when things are difficult knowing that the word of God will work in your life. Folks, it doesn't get any simpler than that. I don't understand people that don't think the word of God is relevant for today. If there's ever been a time where the word of God is relevant, it is today. If there's ever been a time where it was more important for us to speak God's word no matter what's going on around us, then I certainly don't know what it is. We have an unchanging and eternal law of God. As you have spoken in his ears, so shall he do unto you. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to walk by faith and to see your word come to pass. We see the work of the enemy around us. We see him trying to limit us. We see him trying to take away the blessings of God from our lives. Much of that work even through government. But Father, we trust in you. Our eyes are upon you. Our voices speak your word. Our hearts sing your praises. We're not worried about what's going on around us, Father, because we know you're stronger than anything the devil can do. We know you have entrusted us and imbued us with power and authority to carry out your will here in the earth. So we declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that all of our needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
we declare that the peace of God is ours and that you keep us in perfect peace because our minds are stayed on you. We declare we shall walk in the blessings of God in its fullest measure because your word is true, Father. Satan, we break your hold over our lives. We refuse to follow you or serve you in any way whatsoever. But our eyes are upon him. My eyes are upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Who always leads us into victory. Always makes a way for us. It may not look like there is a way. But your way leads us out. Of defeat into victory. Stirring us, Father, an understanding that we are just as righteous in your sight as Jesus is himself. Because he shed his blood for us. He took our unrighteousness and made us righteous. So we stand before your presence, not cowering, not afraid to come in before the throne. But rather we come boldly to partake of your mercy and your favor in every area of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God. You may have to count it all joy because of the circumstances of your life, but let's do that. Father, we count it joy. We bless you. We believe your word, Father. We stand upon your word. We speak your word. And no matter what's going on in other parts of our lives, what difficulty we may be experiencing, we count it joy, Father, knowing that your patience, patience is developed by the trying of our faith. When that patience have it, has its perfect work, we'll be lacking no good thing in any area of life. We thank you, Father, because your word is true. We believe it and we speak it. Thank you, Lord, for bringing it to pass. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. amen.